Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome back to the Know Your Role Player Podcast. I'm your host, J215 Forever. Follow your boy on IG, and on my IG page is my podcast page. That is at Know Your Role Player underscore podcast. The best way that you can listen to this podcast is to download the Anchor app. That's anchor.fm backslash Know Your Role Player. Whether you have Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio Podcasts, Breaker, or Radio FM, or many, many more, you will get notifications like the episode that is available for you right now becomes available. All right, all right. Guys, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Today is Wednesday. October 11th, all right? We got a lot to get into, so I'm going to keep this one pretty simple. I want to talk about two team previews, a little bit of news around the league, and I'm going to get y'all out of here. My voice is a little funny, but I think it's good enough to go, all right? So bear with me. Okay, so boom. Let's talk about the Boston Celtics. Um, Probably had one of the most wildest off-seasons that I can remember in some time, right? So when we last leave off Boston... In the NBA, they lose in the conference finals to the Miami Heat after being down 3 nothing. They tie it up 3-3, and Jason Tatum hurts his ankle, wasn't the same player. They lose the series, right? And so you look at Miami, excuse me, you look at Boston, and they're at this place where every season where they're right at the door. Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference, NBA Finals. They're right there. They're close, you know, and it's like, what can we do to get over that hump? So you know what they decided to do in the offseason? They decided to trade Marcus Smart, right? And there were reports that um, their their coach was going to uh, the, the players. There were certain players that were having issues with the coach. Some of the players was uh, Marcus Smart. Um, there was other guys too, but there were um, a lot of guys. Basically, Bill Simmons has said on his podcast that whoever isn't there on um, Malcolm Brogdon, whoever isn't there now, right? is helping the coach and helping him become better because he was given issues and there was some chemistry issues last year, right? So when you trade a guy like Marcus Smart, I'm going to be honest with you. Marcus Smart, to me, was the heart and soul of the Celtics. Now, if I'm being fair, there were way too many times at the end of games where Marcus shot, excuse me, Marcus Smart was taking the last shot, right? And so you think of game six, game seven, all those close Sixers games, Miami games, there was just too many times where like, Towards the end of the game, and not like he's just dribbling off an ISO, but the ball was in his hands, and it's always this like do or die shot on him. And I think, you know, he was one of the longest tenure Celtics on the team, and you know, I think there's a lot of moxie with that. You know, I've been here, I put my time in, and I feel like maybe the organization and Brad Stevens feels like the best way they help this team grow and help either Joe Mazzula as a coach is to like, all right, let's get rid of him and let's just. It's all on y'all. Y'all the stars of the team. Y'all the two leaders, and it's no debate, right? And I'll talk about um, Marcus Smart later, but they replaced Marcus Smart essentially with Drew Holiday. Now, to me, that is a phenomenal trade, right? So Marcus Smart is a phenomenal defensive player. He's a solid ball handler. You know, he's a good three-point shooter that's worked and improved his jump shot. He's a really good team defender, good isolated defender, and again, one defensive player of the year. You replace it with Drew Holiday, a guy that's made an All-NBA team that many NBA players talked about that probably should have won a Defensive Player of the Year award. You know, so that was a massive upgrade. As much as I'm a Sixers fan and that hurt my heart, I am happy that Holiday is in a good situation. I am. I always want to see former Sixers do well, even if it... 
Honestly, even if it hurts my team, but I'm happily Holiday is on a good team, right? Now, the other move, and the one that kind of make me, eh, I don't know, dog, is the Kristaff Porzingis. Trading for Kristaff Porzingis. I'm going to be honest with you. It'll work and it won't work, right? So he is a talented player, right? And he had a really solid year at Washington. I'm going to be honest. A lot of times at Washington, he put up good numbers, but they were stinking. They weren't a good team. Um, but let's talk about the good and the bad. So the good first, there's a shot, right? If you remember how the Celtics played, they kind of do high picket rolls uh, where Tatum and Brown was at the top of the key. Al Horford to set a screen. They'll drive by the screen, grind hard to it. Al Horford to pop out back to the top of the three-pointer. They'll do a hard drive with one or two dribbles. Uh, both defenders will follow the ball handler, and they'll slide the ball back to the top of the key. Now, if the defense doesn't rotate, Al Horford takes the top of that shot, um, a three at the top of the key. You know who's great at that shot? Kristaps Porzingis, right? Um, he's a really good three-point shooter, and in this offense, he'll be open, right? And so, in that sense, it'll work. It'll work in a sense that he's a mobile big, uh, he's a solid defender, He's an average rebounder to me. Maybe he'll start rebounding more in the Celtics. We'll see. But he was never a great rebounder. But on a team with a lot of talent, when you just look at a guy, yo, can you hit open shots? Yo, he can hit open shots all day long. Now, to me, the bigger issue is, can you depend on Al Horford and Christoph Porzingis to be your front court for 82 games? That's asking a lot. So probably a couple of days later, they signed Wendon Gabriel uh, as a former backup big that played for the Lakers, a solid energy rotation big man. I'm not a big fan of, but he was solid, right? But going back to Porzingis, when I say it will work and it won't work, okay, he can hit this top of the key shot. But I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think he's the player. I, I just don't I, don't, I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it, right? It'll work and he'll hit put up stats to blow out a bunch of teams. He'll have moments where he looks great. But I just don't buy him, A, staying healthy for two um, for out of 82-game season, and B, I, I haven't seen him in pressure moments, right? You know, and maybe he's a lot more of a humbler player now, but when him and Luka was going at it, he really struggled to defer to Luka because he thought I was the star. They brought me here. It was my team. He really did struggle with that, and that's part of the reason he got shipped up out of there, right? And so you think of what that, how that dynamic worked for Boston. Here's the thing. All right, he's not a great rebounder, and he hasn't been in these winning moments. You know, like tough rebounding, hustling. Again, when it comes to skill, he'll clear the board. You know, he'll hit the open shots. I just don't believe he can stay healthy. And I don't know, man. Again, when you lose another guy like Robert Williams, who got traded with Malcolm Brogdon, when you lose a guy like Robert Williams, I think um, it's going to hurt. Now, here's the thing with Robert Williams. The last two or three years um, versus the Heat, versus the Warriors, versus the Heat again, um, Robert Williams has been hurt, right? He's been dealing with injuries. And to the Celtics' perspective, you know, we're probably better without you, right? We're probably better without you because with you and we needed you, you were not dependable as far as health. Again, a healthy Robert Williams made the Celtics a good defensive team to a great defensive team. They were already great on the perimeter as far as locking guys up. And then when you come in the paint, if you remember those games that the Warriors won, Robert Williams was very effective in those games. And those games where he wasn't playing that well, okay? So I'm not saying he was the end-all, be-all, but again, a shot blocker, a great rebounder, a pick-and-roll guy that can dive to the rim and finish with force at the rim. These are all things that I think the Celtics will miss. Again, when you have enough talent in a Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you can make up for a lot of things. But at the end of the day, 
I'm not buying Chris F. Porzingis. I am buying Drew Holiday. So let me shoot Drew Holiday some bail. Um, a lot of times people talk about last year, man, Drew Holiday got cooked by Jimmy Butler. I want to remind you of something. Jimmy Butler has consistently raised the level of his game in the playoffs year after year, all right? Remember, he did it three years ago in the finals versus the Lakers. He does it again versus the Celtics. He takes big shots and big moments, all right? So if he's cooking Drew Holiday, that doesn't mean Drew Holiday isn't good. That just means he's good, right? And in the NBA, I want you to remember one, one term. Every player gets got. And what I mean by that is every player is going to get the business and give the business. They're going to get beat and scored on, and they're going to score and beat on somebody else, right? And so it'll be days where that happens. It might be playoff series. That don't ultimately define you, but again, it does matter. So again, when people say, you know, Jimmy Butler cooked Drew Holiday, all right, well, you know, shake that man's hand and go on about your business. You got beat by a great player, but you're still a great player in your own regard, right? And so I love Holiday. When I look at the additions of Holiday and Porzingis, it's like, okay, you know, you got the shooting with Porzingis. You got the three and D with Holiday. You got a good fundamentally sound team with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, right? And so those are the things I do buy, right? Holiday, a really good defender, can hit open shots. I think he'll be fine. Let's talk about the two Js, all right? Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So for Jason Tatum, to me, um, you know, you never know what a guy's individual goals, but for me, I would like him to see make see him make first team All NBA, right? And with that comes being consistent every night. The thing with Jason Tatum, he has these hot streaks, he has these cold streaks, and my biggest thing with Jason Tatum is shot selection. Sometimes he kind of drives me crazy because I don't want to say he shoots too many threes. It's almost about the timing of them, right? To me, it's like all right. If you got these smaller guys on you, the 6'1 and 6'2, you don't need to shoot a turnaround fadeaway jump shot. Yes, you can make that, but you're 6'9 and he's 2. How about you post or you, you know, you dribble the drive and score in the basket? So it's really about to me taking advantage of your matchups and shot selection. Again, I know he shoots a high volume of threes, and I'm not telling this guy not to shoot threes, but to me, establish early and often inside. When he's uh, being aggressive and going towards the rim and hitting bank shots and scoring and drawing defenders, you really can't do nothing, all right? It really puts the team in the bind. And I feel like once he does that, they start playing back more. Once he start playing back more, you can hit him with the step-back jump shots and them three-pointers, and that's how you kill him. He did that in playoff games. Game 7 was a perfect example of how a perfect Jason Tatum game should go, right? As far as attacking the rim, attacking the rim, being aggressive, rebounding, and then killing him with the three-point shot. So with Jason Tatum and shot selection, aggressiveness, and consistently, with Jalen Brown, two words, left hand, all right? First of all, congratulations to Jalen Brown for getting a $300 million contract, right? That's big. I will never tell a player what he does and does not deserve. That's not my job. If you're, if you, you, you can, you, you can get whatever you can get, right? If you can get a $300 million contract, you're worth what? $300 million, all right? I'm not the person to tell you, well, you ain't and you ain't this. But what I will say is with much power, comes much responsibility, right? And you do have an obligation to improve as a player. You, you're getting paid superstar money, right? One of the highest contracts in NBA history, right? And so, yeah, that, that left hand needs to improve. And the other thing is that Jalen Brown does, there's too many times in transition that he kind of goes like one on three, right? So he's like, let's say there's one defender, you know, on him guarding the ball and maybe one guy a little bit in front of him. 
he'll just kind of take that thing and like, yo, I'm going to the rim. And what happens is he speeds up, he goes a little way too fast, and he winds up turning the ball over. The other move he does is when he does his like inside out dribble with his left hand, he goes too fast, and either the ball hits the defender's foot or he kind of loses the ball moving too fast and gets a turnover, right? The turnovers from the two Js has to decrease and the playmaking and scoring has to increase. Jason Tatum has been okay as a passer. I do look for him to improve in that area and Jalen Brown also. That's where they got to grow, right? And this team is kind of set up for y'all to grow and others to follow behind suit, right? So ultimately, I still think the Celtics win the uh, division. I still think they're one of the best teams, but I do not think this team is as good as the team in the last two years. Yes, the dynamic is different, right? So say, how could they win a championship? Okay, Porzingis is consistent, he's healthy, and he has a dominating role where he has a bunch of open shots and they really struggle with him. The other part is, if you look at Milwaukee and Boston as the two best teams, wouldn't Kristaps Porzingis be guarding Giannis? Okay, and I'm not the guy who's guarding who. Obviously, their team schemes, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I don't want Giannis on... Um, I don't want Chris Porzingis on Giannis. I just think that's a really bad matchup in a lot of different areas, right? A um, couple other things. I'm not loving their bench. You know, they have some okay guys. I'm going to say this. Hashtag know your role player. There's a guy, he kind of looks like Charlie Villanueva. His name is Jordan Walsh. I think he has a lot of talent. Out of any players off their bench, I think he is the one role player that might have step up and have a good role. Also, again, I talked earlier in the last pod about Peyton Pritchard. You know, got contract extension. I like him. Luke Cormitt was a really solid shooter. We'll see how much more minutes he gets. I can never pronounce this guy's name right. Sky or Skivy uh, Makayuk. He was a guard on the Charlotte Hornets. He's a really good three-point shooter. I always butcher his name. I feel bad about it. Um, I'm going to get his name right tomorrow, but I always butcher this guy's name. So like I said, overall... Um, I like the Celtics. I think they're good, and I think they have a dynamic. It's kind of like extremist offseason where, like, again, um, they got rid of all the players that could have been a problematic for Joe Mazzola. And Joe Mazzola is the other question mark, right? We talked about in playoff series where he kind of looked a little overwhelmed, and, you know, he's a young coach going at it. It is a now or never time for Joe Mazzola, all right? This team is in a win-nail mode. They paid all their best players, and he has to produce, right? As much as responsibility we put on players that produce, we have to put equal responsibility on coaches and front offices. I'm looking at you, Brad Stevens, and I'm looking at you, Joe Mazzola. All right? All right. <laughs> that wasn't too bad. I hope it wasn't too drawn out for you. All right. So next, the Philadelphia 76ers. All right, man. I'm going to be honest. The word that I dream of with the Sixers is stability. Um, and media day, Joel Embiid talked about, you know, there's no wasted years and he doesn't want no wasted years in his, um, in his prime. And I know everybody's talking about, yo, Embiid's not happy. Yo, Embiid's not happy. Well, we don't know what he is because he just won MVP. I want to remind people of that, you know, and that's one of his biggest accomplishments. And he did that. So he had a good season. They did disappoint and they did choke in, in the playoffs, right? We last leave the Sixers in the second round in game six where they absolutely folded, right? And they had a chance to win, and Embiid and Harden both folded. And then in game seven, both of those guys basically no-showed, and they get blown out, right? And we go into the offseason with James Harden saying, Daryl Morey is a liar. Daryl Morey is a liar. Yo, I don't know what was said between James Harden and Daryl Morey. I don't, right? But he's not giving up this shtick that Daryl Morey is a liar, 
And they had history. They had a really good relationship. And part of the reason we got James Harden was Daryl Murray. So I don't know. I don't know what happened between the contracts and you told me this, you told me that. I know my man opted into a contract and then demanded a trade. Right? You could have been a free agent and went whatever you want, but you wanted that contract. You couldn't get that contract out of there, so you got your money back and you got the full thing, and you're kind of stuck in no man's land, right? And so with the offseason, there were so many rumors and rumblings about, yo, what's James Harden going to do? Yo, what's James Harden going to do? And honestly, I didn't know either. I didn't feel like dealing with it. And so far so good right james harden has been in a nine factor as far as the distraction wise um he didn't show up on media day but he showed up next day it is a report that he's in really good shape um him and Embiid are probably not going to play too much in the postseason which is fine um they should be ready to both pros or both veterans we'll see man again i'm not a Harden fan but i'm not going to act like we don't need him all right this team is kind of the same team from last year so you look at the sixers and say well, where's the growth, all right? The growth starts with the coaching, right? We get rid of Doc Rivers. You know, the Sixers, time after time, fumbling in the fourth quarter. Doc Rivers not making adjustments. Um, Nick Nurse should be a big improvement, right? Nick Nurse, even though the one thing he makes me nervous with with his Toronto days is that his best players play really high minutes, but he got the most out of them. They played a really good aggressive defense, and they always play hard. Even in the preseason, which doesn't mean much, the Sixers are kind of rotating, playing hard. And I do think fundamentally we'll see a different Sixers team. He talked about Joel Embiid defensively, how he wants to be aggressive. Um, reckless was the term he actually used in a quote and just dominate defensively. And that'll be interesting because to me, when you want Embiid to observe himself defensively, that means you want him to take a lighter load offensively. And so guys like Harden, Maxi Tobias, who was in a contract year, so probably should play phenomenal, but we'll see. Um, those guys have to step up. If and be last year averaging 32, 33 points, you want him to take a lesser role, 27, 28. You know, uh, one thing he wasn't great at in the second half of the season was rebounding. Hopefully he improves on that area. Listen, he's a good rebounder when he wants to be. All right, he has all the skills to rebound. It's just something that he's got to want to do. I don't think that's going to be a problem. So you look at a couple additions that the Sixers made. They added Patrick Beverly and Mo Bamba. I don't feel no way about Mo Bamba. Um, you know, he should be a solid backup big. He can hit an open shot. We'll see, man. He, he's okay. He doesn't move the needle for me. Patrick Beverly is a solid role player who's had a phenomenal career. Hashtag know your role player. But sometimes Patrick Beverly can be a character. And what I mean by that is sometimes his antics hurt him. When you're that type of defensive player, you know, and you're playing with physicality, you're doing the extra stuff and irritating the refs won't help you because you're playing with physicality and they might just give you a foul because they don't like you. Whether that's right or that's wrong, I'm not ever telling him to change his game, but, you know, the character thing, for example, uh, remember the game LeBron was real dramatic and he was throwing the fit after the Celtics after he did get fouled, right? Patrick Beverly goes up to the ref with a camera and says, did you see that? And get a tech. Yo, are you wrong? Did you get fouled? Yeah, LeBron got fouled, but are you wrong for bringing a camera to a referee and pointing to it? I don't know. Do you feel like you had to get that off? You felt like you had to get that off. That's cool. Um, Let's keep going. Sixers bring back Danny Green, who reports has looked good in camp. Yo, Danny Green is 36, all right? I'm not expecting nothing from Danny Green, but he's one of the best role players of all time. Hashtag know your role player. A phenomenal 3 and D player. If that knee is healthy and he can give us anything he was two years ago, it's a huge bonus, but I'm not expecting anything. 
All right. So hashtag role, know your role player. I want to talk to you about the three guys that will kind of make and break the Sixers team as far as improvement. Right. Um, Paul Reed, DeAnthony Melton and Tyrese Maxey. So Tyrese Maxey isn't a role player, but he's not a star either. Now, he has a chance to be a star if he continues to grow and develop. But right now he's kind of in like a middle of his he needs to be more aggressive, shooting, scoring, attacking. He needs to have a bigger role than he had last time because he's the one piece on our team that can improve, right? And so you look at the next guy, DeAnthony Milton. The one consistently thing he does, even though he hurt his back last season, was defend and shoot threes. The Sixers always have inconsistent shooters, and it's going to be so big for him on his Knicks team that plays defense, playing with a lot of first unit and second unit teams. So he'll be big, but again, the swing guy for the Sixers is Paul Reed. So last year, Doc Rivers really, really, really struggled with certain guys. He would have guys in the doghouse like Shake Milton, Furkan, Korkmaz, and sometimes Paul Reed. And some of those guys that were in the doghouse never got out, right? Shake's on in Minnesota. I hope he does great there. Um, but Paul Reed was a guy that it took so much for Doc to play this guy, like, he would play washed-up bum veterans before he played them. And when he finally played them, Paul Reed played really good in spurts. But Doc was so tight with this hook where he messed up, he's taking them out. Yo, you have to give players room to grow. And again, I understand that Paul Reed is a talented player. And sometimes he may like do too much where he's dribbling too much or you know, kind of get a little out of pocket. But you, you got to give guys a chance. And that's my biggest critique with Doc, Doc Rivers. He's so veteran-obsessed that he doesn't let his young players grow. Tyrese Maxey playing well was not a product of Doc Rivers. It was a product of Tyrese Maxey. You know, the one thing that Doc Rivers did well, or he had um, reportedly done well, is relationships and egos. But Harden didn't really like him. B did like him. So B won MVP. He liked him. Harden didn't care for him. Do with that information as you will. But it is what it is. So, again, going back to the Sixers, Paul Reed is the guy. So, Last year, in a limited role, he was really good, had really good defensive numbers. This year, it is reported that they're going to let him shoot more threes. They're going to give him more offensive freedom. Now, we'll see how much true this is. We all say things in the preseason. We'll see how much true this is, right? But if they do, I do believe in him. I do believe he can shoot. He shot really good in the um in the G League. And I do think he should get the opportunity. He's undersized at 6'9", but he's a quick jumper. He's a strong beast. He's a really solid player, all right? So the swing player, right, that could kind of turn a game for the Sixers is Kelly Oubre. Now, Kelly Oubre is an interesting role player. He's a 6'6 player that last played on Charlotte, I think, had a year uh, with the Warriors. All right, here's the thing with Kelly Oubre. He can shoot, but he shoots too much, right? And it's like, yo, he can make eight threes, but he can also take 20 threes. So it's kind of like this balance between, like, yo, dog. We want you to shoot and be aggressive, but we want you to realize you can't be shooting more than Joel Embiid and James Harden, you know. But to me, I have to take him with a green assault because outside of Tobias Harris, we really don't have any wings, you know. D'Anthony Milton is 6'2". Furkan Korkmaz doesn't really play. He's about 6'4". Daniel House is about 6'6", but we'll see how much he plays. But to me, Uber is more talented than with Daniel House. Maybe coaches and the veterans. And Nick Nurse might trust Daniel House more. But me personally, I like um, Kelly Oubre. Also, we talk about Jaden Springer. So if you did watch the Sixers in the Celtics preseason game the other night, Jason Tatum, I think in the middle of the second quarter, goes down. 
uh, and go for a dunk, and it got blocked. And everybody's like, yo, who's that that blocked that dunk? That guy named is Jaden Springer. So in the last two years in the G League, this guy's really been hustling. Um, he didn't get any burn last year for the Sixers. I'm hoping that, again, Nick Nurse has an open mind, and if this guy's been playing well, if he's been practicing hard, give him a chance. Again, he's a limited offensive player. He's not a guy that's going to dominate the ball, but he can spot up and shoot threes. He can hustle really well, and he's a phenomenal athlete. And he's a very, very good defender that I believe they can guard bigger positions in switches. Not permanently, but in switches. So again, he's another guy that can be a really big acquisition if they give him the opportunity to play, right? I talked about Tobias Harris, and I'll say this. Um, Tobias Harris isn't a bad NBA player. But the problem with Tobias Harris is his contract. He makes more money than Joel Embiid, right? And again, I tell you, 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 you're worth whatever you get. So I'm not talking about the man's pockets. But as far as a team perspective, a lot of the rest of our uh, roster is kind of limited because he takes on so much of the cap. So if you think you got two superstars in Harden and Embiid, and you got Maxie's a third guy that you got to pay, you know, you kind of look at Tobias as like, yo, dog. Now, he's in a contract year. I believe he'll play well. I don't think they're going to trade him. Um, again, the Sixers don't have wings. And unless there's a wing they can get with multiple years in their contract, I think they're better with him than without him. What do I expect from Tobias Harris this year? Honestly, I have one request. Take more threes. He's a fine three-point shooter. He does have game outside his three-pointers. But Tobias is always on him to get more aggressive. And again, I go back to the team philosophy. If Nick Nurse wants Embiid to be a more dominant defensive player, then maybe the offensive load should come back a little bit, right? Now, I'm not saying average 20 and 10. You're still a great player. You're still going to get buckets. But maybe instead of 30, 27, right? And some people will be like, yo, he fell off, man. He averaged 32. He's averaging 27. But again, you want to win games. You want other guys to develop their games. And you want to see if you can have different dynamics as a team, right? So that's my thoughts on the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, honestly, they're pretty much the same team from last year with coaching improvements and small player adjustments, right? So you say, well, what's the Sixers' outlook? I talked about the Celtics earlier, and if I look at the Celtics' outlook, I'll put the Celtics back with the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Unless the Sixers team makes some type of change, to me, they're a second round out again, right? And that's going to be really painful for some. And again, the Sixers team will be fine to win games, but they don't have a dynamic to put them over the top. And again, we'll see what James Harden and Daryl Morey do. So far, so good, but I'm not expecting it to stay that way, right? So to me, the closer we get to the season and the less likely the Sixers make the deal, the more likely to me that we might have a James Harden problem. Now, I talked about earlier in his contract that it does not benefit him to basically quit because it's a violation of the CBA. And you're in the last year of your deal, you can be in some real trouble, right? But I do think that he will make him uncomfortable if he has to. I think he's playing fair, thinking he's going to get traded. But again, we talk about the Clippers. You're the offer in Terrence Mann, like Robert Covington, in a first-round pick. No matter what I think of James Harden, all right? He didn't make the All-Star team. He averages double digits. He's one of the best passers in the league, and he can still score about 19, 20 points a game. That gets you more than two role players, all right? If that's the best offer you can do... I'm pulling a Masai Ujiri, and I'm not trading him, all right? Real ones know that reference. So that's pretty much it. Um, I'm going to keep it right there. 
Tomorrow, we'll continue the Eastern Conference uh, review. We'll talk about two more teams. We will talk about Toronto and the Miami Heat. Actually, I'll do three teams tomorrow. I'll do the Toronto Raptors, the Miami Heat, and the Orlando Magic. All right? But we're going to wrap it up there. couple things before I get y'all out of here. A couple quick things, news and notes. So, <clears throat> the NBA... Uh, it's kind of interesting to me. So the Hornets waived 2021 first round pick Kai Jones. Uh, it's reported that he has some mental health issues with some kind of concerning post. And, um, you know, they expected him to be away from the team and kind of get some help. And recently he kind of requested a trade. So they waived him. And um, it's interesting. And the NBA talks about mental health a lot, right? So my question is, if a guy isn't in a healthy mental state, right? And you say, yo, you need to get some help your way. And he requests a trade. What is your obligation? Is your obligation to say mental health is important and offer him mental health and say, hey, we won't honor this request right now. But if you get yourself right and, you know, if you're acting better, you know, if you're in a better mental state, then we can come back to this or we're going to just waive him. Right. Because you can't say mental health is important, but we support the player. Well, did you? Or did you just cut him and say, I'm getting rid of that problem. He's somebody else's problem now. Right? And it was kind of interesting. There was a lot of people like making fun of like Kai Jones tree. To me, the guy's not in a great mental space. I don't know that, but he doesn't. Again, it looks as a team that he's just some mental health issues. And if that is, is that funny? Right? I don't have any jokes for Kai Jones, right? He was an okay role player coming out of Texas. I wasn't a big fan. But again, if mental health is a priority. The NBA said follow through with action. Now, even though he's waived, it is very important for me to M- for the NBA and Kai Jones to get in a better place, right? Again, y'all still have a responsibility because he's an NBA free agent that y'all waived. And y'all talk every year how mental health is important, how it's okay to not be okay. Well, here's a prime example of a player that's not okay, all right? Now, again, you honored his wishes. You didn't trade him, but you waived him. Now, do your part and continue to support and help him. That's all I got to say on that issue, right? So I'm praying for you, uh, Kai Jones. Good luck to your brother. couple other things, and I'm getting you all out of here. A couple other things. So Victor Wimbignana and Chet Holmgren played yesterday. If you didn't see it, the highlights were really fun last night. Um, both of these guys look pretty good. Uh, Wimbignana can do some things with the basketball I ain't never seen in my life, man. The only thing with him, y'all, I watch, like, Biggs land, and he makes me nervous a lot with his landing um, maybe it's me being paranoid because I watched Joel Embiid play and he falls a lot. Not that Wimbiana falls a lot because he doesn't, but he just has some awkward falls sometimes. So it's really important that this guy stays healthy. Yo, last thing I talked about yesterday, the other day, about the NBA in the 82 game season in the regular season matters. Well, guess who confirmed it? The NBA executive, this is an ESPN article by Tim uh, Botems. The NBA executive and vice president and head of basketball operations, Joe Dumar, says that the league has communicated to his players that we are really emphasizing that this is an 82-game season and that the league has data indicating that players resting doesn't necessarily translate to players being healthier. And that quote by Joe Dumars. I think it was a given conclusion that the data showed you that you had to rest players a certain amount and that was justified sitting out. Dumar said Wednesday during a conference call with the national media. We've gotten more data and it just doesn't show that resting and sitting guys out correlates with a lack of injuries or fatigue or anything like that. 
What it does show is that guys may not be as efficient on the second night of a back-to-back, but in terms of injury and things like that, we thought that it did prior. As we got more data, we realized that that's not really holding up. The NBA's new player participation policy, which ties players winning in the league's MVP award and top, this is very important, top individual awards to compete in NBA first team, second team, third team All-NBA, first team or second team All-Defense, NBA Rookie of the Year or Defensive Player of the Year, you must play at least 60 Five games, including a fine system for teams that intentionally rest players without any injury issues. The new policy stems from an ongoing trend over the past several years when teams have placed greater emphasis, great emphasis on resting players in attempt to avoid injuries, particularly when it comes to playing players back-to-backs. Last year, there were several in- instances where players in the past, including NBA champions, the Warriors and the Nuggets, virtually set their entire team on back-to-back road nights on second half of a back-to-backs, all right? So I talked about this yesterday when I said the regular season matters. Well, forget what I say. The president, uh, Joe Dumars, is saying it too. So um, all that, you know, the whole team's not playing and, yo, check out my fit and, yo, get me on the gram. That's all cool. Y'all got to play. Y'all care about these awards. And when I tell y'all all NBA awards, MVP awards, they care about them, you Finna play, all right? Play and make NBA players play games again, all right? Listen, if you're hurt, you're hurt. I'm not the guy to question it. But if there's nothing wrong with you and your team's like the Portland Trailblazers where you're kind of making up a fake calf injury or kind of, you know, kind of milking it a little, that's a problem, all right? What else? What else? What else? What else? I no, I don't want to talk about that. I'm gonna wrap it up there. All right. Um. So again, tomorrow is Thursday, and tomorrow I'll talk about t- two more teams that I talked about before. But that's it. Please like, share, and subscribe. Once I finish all the team previews, I'm gonna get the hot take podcast before the season, and I'm gonna get one guest before the season. I'm still kind of debating who that is. But again, a couple of updates on the videos. Again. It's all about lighting for me. And once I get a new phone, I'm trying to decide if I want to do it on my phone or my camera. But I think I'm going to take a leap of faith and just put the video out without like a lot of extra fluff, right? To me, it's like, well, this season is it's a really big, important season for me in the podcast because like I really want to grow, right? I've done well every season, but this season I want to grow outside of my audience. I want to gather a new audience and I want people that have never heard of this podcast to come join this podcast it be a sustainable podcast for the future, right? So again, how can you help me help you? Like, share, and subscribe, comment, and holla at your boy, all right? I'll be back tomorrow. Y'all be good. Y'all stay blessed. Peace.